0: listeners welcome back to another episode of what had happened a true crime podcast i'm your host kimberly bringing you lesser known true crimes i hope everyone's doing fine this beautiful final weekend of february it's hard to believe that february's already over and i'm really looking forward to bringing you some amazing content for the month of march so it's really nice to say adios but to february don't forget to join the what had happened a true crime podcast group on facebook this is a group where we share true crime memes talk about cases discussed on the show or that are gnawing at you and you can also make suggestions for lesser known cases that you would like to hear you can also follow the podcast on instagram and twitter the links are in the description box down below (sighs) So, last episode, I told you about Harrison Graham in Philadelphia. Today, we are going to cut across the map to Meteor, Wisconsin. And we're going to discuss what happened at the hands of Chai Vang and eight hunters. This is known as the Tree Stand Murders. On September 24, 1968, Chai Vang was born to rice and corn farmers in the mountainous Saebori province of northwestern Laos. Chai was the second of six children and the firstborn son. Chai's siblings and cousins would all recall Chai always having an adoration for nature and hunting. As a little boy, Chai and his cousins fashioning guns out of bamboo sticks and ambushing their adversaries and mock wars were how they spent their time playing. In September 1975, after helping to assist U.S. troops in blocking the Ho Chi Minh Trail as an infantry soldier, Chai's father, Cher Vang, whisked Chai and their family to a refugee camp in Thailand. The Vang family remained refugees in Thailand until 1980 when they emigrated to St. Paul, Minnesota. During their time in St. Paul, the Vang family worked hard to assimilate to their new country. Oldest sister Mia delivering newspapers in the morning before school and the other Vang children participating in various activities. While attending school at Humboldt High School, Chai received good grades in the year he attended. At age 16, Chai's parents arranged his marriage to Zhong. In 1985, the Vang family relocated to Stockton, California. It was at this time that Chai juggled the responsibilities of being a husband, son, and student. While attending Benjamin Franklin High School, Chai founded and became the first president of the high school's mong club. At the age of 21, Chai enlisted in the military. During his marksmanship training at Fort Sam Houston, Chai was recorded as a sharpshooter. Let's see here. I was talking shit in the script, but I'm gonna not do that. Just the facts today, people. After basic training... Chai went on to serve in the California National Guard for six years. During this time, between 1990 and 1995, Chai also went on to be a teacher's aide for disabled students, volunteered at his local Lao Community Center, and became a truck driver covering the entire Lower 48. It was in 1999 that Chai and his family relocated to St. Paul in pursuit of better employment and a drastically lower cost of living. During this time, Chai began to establish his family in St. Paul. In 2000, upon the death of his father, Chai became the family patriarch, promising his father to take care of his siblings and family. After Chai's father passed away, he was able to obtain two jobs juggling truck driving and night shift plant work for Chrysler spiritually at this time chai became a shaman performing shaman rituals it's believed that Hmong shamans are blessed with special gifts including the ability to speak to those quote on the other side curing ailments and seeing into the future during trance-like rituals quote from a neighbor would say he has an altar he has an altar and a special bench and jumps up and down and sends messages back and forth in different language Zhang, the former neighbor, would say that he, quote, also would always spend about an hour talking to the family and explaining what he would do and what it meant. I would hold him and make sure he didn't fall. While Chai may have been able to find spiritual fulfillment and enlightenment, as a shaman, various court documents show that 2001 is when chai began to get into trouble for fishing and wildlife violations as well as problems within his home the first being he was fined for catching 93 more than the limit of crappy which was a fine that he paid His next altercation was much darker, though. On Christmas Eve 2001, local police responded to a domestic dispute at the Vang home. Sejong would tell responding officers that she feared for her life because Chai brandished a handgun during a dispute over their impending separation. Due to the nature of this 911 call, Chai spent the holiday in the local jail, Say is said to have fled to milwaukee with the couple's five children that following spring a warrant was also issued for failure to appear in court after being caught trespassing while deer hunting which means to quote the wisconsin farm bureau form because i had no idea exactly what this meant quote wisconsin's trespass law states that you must have written or verbal permission to hunt on someone's land hunters are required to make a reasonable effort to retrieve game they have killed or injured but hunters may not trespass to retrieve such game that's good to know because this you know span you know these rules span differently they word them different for each state the following spring, began, he began defaulting in child support payments for the three children he fathered with Yua Lee in Stockton, California, and therefore he was in trouble for that as well. While hunting during all of this time, Chai fell in love with an area near Mora, Minnesota. In October of 2003, Chai began to make payments on a 40-acre plot of hunting property in Cannebec County, Minnesota. Chai would go ahead and remarry following his divorce from Say in a Hmong ceremony that was not recognized legally. Shortly thereafter, his new wife, Dua King, would become pregnant and just weeks after their new daughter's birth Chai would go on his final hunting trip. Late November sin- signals the end of hunting season in Minnesota and the beginning of hunting season in Wisconsin. Minnesotans who flock to Wisconsin to hunt are referred to by some western it is as mud ducks similarly to Wisconsinans being called cheeseheads I really don't I don't how do you guys say that somebody let me know because I don't know I don't want to be crass shit that's really difficult how do you guys pronounce what do you guys call yourself as a whole in Wisconsin somebody let me know on November 21st 2004 chai vang along with a couple of friends and their two sons embarked on a hunting trip in meteor wisconsin meteor lies in northwestern wisconsin where meteor has a large area it also has an extremely low population in this region there is a mix of public and private land It is believed that Chai and his friends began their day on public land, but later he went on to a private 400 acreage of land that was unmarked. In contrast to hunting in America, rules and etiquette on American hunting have proved unfamiliar to many of the Hmong who have immigrated from Laos. Where hunting is a practiced skill. The Lao Mountains are among the wildest and least populated areas of the world. There are no regulations about what, where, or when to hunt. Con- con- uh, let's see here. Conservation officers and property owners in several states have reported conflicts with the Hmong over their hunting practices, often because they did not understand American traditions such as trespassing onto private property to hunt where in the lao mountain regions you just go where you go out here we obviously have our own property that we can purchase amidst the public property side this is my only take on this i feel that if you are going to procure private property and it is intermingled i don't give a shit fuck it you have private property please post it as being private make it known that that is property for you and no trespassing it would probably save a lot of fucking heartache and a lot of headaches huh anywho I really didn't like the way that this was described. I'm sorry, you guys. But anyways, there's no other way to say it. Conservation officers and property owners in several states have reported conflicts with the Hmong over their hunting practices, often because they didn't understand American traditions. Minnesota's Department of Natural Resources hired a Hmong officer to teach the community about local hunting and fishing rules chai says that when he wandered onto the unmarked private property he had no idea it was private obviously because it wasn't marked whilst on the property chai climbed onto one of a few tree stands in the area and he says he did so to evaluate where exactly he had managed to wander off to it wouldn't take long for chai to learn that he had happened upon a occupied private property as one of the co-owners who was hosting a 14 uh, hosting 14 other people on an annual hunting trip would actually see him in the tree stand and confront him terry willers would ask chai what he was doing in the tree stand and there were statements where he had said that you know the tree stand didn't quote fucking grow out of the tree so you're on private property what are you doing in the tree stand where chai would also say that he was lost and he needed to know which direction he needed to go into because he didn't know that he was on private property Terry Willers would radio up to the cabin asking if there were supposed to be any other people up there you know prior to confronting Chai and when they said no this is when a group of members in the hunting party decided to assemble at the same time that Terry Willers was directing Chai to go in the southern direction of the property follow the footpath and get off of the, the private property there was also a a statement about killing doe on the property because there was problems in the past with monk hunters doing you know hunting on their property where chiving said that he hadn't hunted and he hadn't shot any doe that day so chai starts wandering off and as he is wandering off he begins he gets confronted by eight hunters from the party who rode up on on ATVs. These people were Robert Croteau, 42 years old. He owned a concrete business in Rice Lake and he was married with three children. He would end up being a victim who was shot in the back and killed. His son, Joey Croteau, who was 20, he was also his business partner. He was shot four times in the back. Alan Lasky, who was 43 and a manager of a Rice Lake area lumber yard, was also married with three children, was shot in the back three times and died as well in this altercation. Mark Royt, who was 28 and a family of the Drew family, who was also on the hunting trip, he was shot once in the head jessica willers was 27 and a nurse from rice lake who had moved to green bay and she was engaged she was shot in the back twice and killed during this denny drew was 55 a car salesman in rice lake and he was shot through the stomach and he would end up dying in the hospital the following day and the two who were wounded would be lauren hesbeck who was 48 and a manager at a car dealership in rice lake drew was his brother-in-law and he was shot once through the shoulder exiting his back and terry willers the 47 year old father of jessica willers who worked at croteau's concrete business he was shot once in the neck during this entire melee so lauren hesbeck and terry willers were the two surviving victims keep that in your hat Lauren Hasbeck, a surviving victim, would testify that Bob had said, I'm going to talk to him to find out who he is and why he's there and to make sure he doesn't, you know, you know, know that he's on private property and he's not welcomed there. Denny had said to me, this ought to be interesting. Let's go and see what's going on. We got in the back of it, standing up, talking about the ATVs, hanging on the rear bar. After following the directions given by Willers over the radio, they proceeded to approach Chai further down the trail. It said that Croteau Sr. then suggested making a note of his hunting license number to make a report to the DNR, and according to Hesbeck's testimony, Croteau flipped over the hunting tag on Chai's back to get his license number the events after the confrontation are disputed between chai and the two surviving victims but a violent altercation broke out when chai vang said that he was walking away but had been confronted by this group of people who were allegedly spewing racial epithets at him and being super aggressive with him he says that he tried to walk away from the group and at that time he alleges that someone fired a round at him he in his testimony said that he saw a clod of dirt about 100 feet in front of him become impacted and disperse. So, if you're familiar with firing a weapon and you fire into the ground or, you know, whatever, a bullet whizzes past him, he sees it hit the dirt in front of him, he watches it spread, and he's like, oh shit, I'm, a, I'm getting shot at. So, he sling arms his weapon, removes his scope in one failed swoop, turns around, and disperses 20 rounds into the hunting party five people lay dead by the time chiving was finished and then after that the following day the sixth victim would end up succumbing to his wounds in the hospital it said that he was using like a saiga rifle which was recovered by police the following day chai immediately fled the scene on foot and discarded the remaining ammunition later stating that he didn't want to shoot anyone else chai eventually came across another hunter riding an atv who wasn't a part of the hunting party And this hunter offered to give Chai a ride, eventually taking him back to the cabin that Chai, his friends, and their sons were staying at. Chai was arrested when he returned to the cabin about five hours after the shooting. An officer was waiting for Chai and placed him into custody and transported him to the Sawyer County Jail. His bail was set at $2.5 million. Friends and family alike were as usual were shocked to hear of the shooting there was a sense of disbelief as the violent actions were polar opposite of the mong shaman and overall decent person that they knew of of chai during this time a number of hate crimes towards mongs began happening throughout the area among incidents that are attributed to crimes towards the Hmong community due to the events are as follows Possible arson destroying a former home owned by Chai, spray paint of killer on three Hmong homes in Menamini. hate literature showed up in a Hmong neighborhood in St. Paul. Many white Upper Midwest residents say the focus of news reports was on the potential discrimination against Mongs instead of an actual suffering of the victims in the shooting. This included a brief circulation of bumper stickers entitled Save a Deer Shoot a Mong, which was akin to the controversial 1989 campaign of Save a Walleye Spear an Indian at Rice Lake while on the stand chai stated that terry willers took the first shot at him from about a hundred feet away and therefore the shootings were in self-defense no shell casing was ever recovered from terry's gun even though during the trial hesbeck admitted to firing a single shot hesbeck testified that also no shot was ever fired which was conflicting Local law enforcement also bungled things because they failed to administer additional forensic testing of Terry Willer's weapon. Chai, Chai asserts that race may have been a factor, stating that during the verbal dispute, some of the local hunters yelled out racial slurs at him such as chink and gook. On the stand, Hasbeck admitted that Robert Cruteau had called Vang a mong asshole. Hasbeck also admitted that he told law enforcement that Robert Cruteau had problems with trespassers in the past, specifically alleging mong hunters who apparently are known to travel to Wisconsin from Minnesota to hunt. The term mud duck was thrown out there during the trial as well it is a common reference to minnesota residents used often in western wisconsin similar to cheesehead being used to describe wisconsin residents the term was used to describe chai vang noting that he was from minnesota the term has no racial connotation although the defense made that claim they asserted that this word was used when willers radioed back to the cabin and it's unknown how during the altercation initially they were able to conclude that chai was from minnesota <sighs> i mean if, if you're saying that hunting season is over in minnesota there is a huge mong community in Minnesota and hunting season is beginning in Wisconsin and you have problems with monk hunters in this region it's really not that far of a stretch but okay the dude was just generalizing Chai had had a history of domestic violence in addition the criminal complaints had stated that Chai shot four of the victims in the back and Chai himself admitted that he shot one victim in the back flat out which the prosecutor's office claims does not help the case for self-defense. Additionally, many of the victims were shot multiple times, as stated before. Ch- Chai's trial began on Saturday, September tenth, two thousand and five, in, so- in a Sawyer County court in the Sawyer County courthouse. Fourteen of the jur- the fourteen jurors were comprised of ten women and four men. And they were selected from Dane County, Wisconsin, and they were bust 280 miles northwest to Sawyer County, where they were to be sequestered. Chai told his jury that he feared for his life and began firing only after another hunter's shot nearly hit him. He detailed for jurors how the other hunters approached him and how he responded by shooting at each one he says that he shot two of the victims in the back because they were quote disrespectful he recounted with clarity how he killed each victim while saying on the stand he quote wished it wasn't happening chai contended without remorse that three of the hunters quote deserved to die quote did mr croteau deserve to die wisconsin attorney general peg Lautenschlager asked yes chai later testified that joseph croteau deserved to die quote because he accused me of giving him the finger and tried to cut in front of me to stop me from leaving finally stating that quote lasky deserved to die because he had a gun he said chai reenacted his deeds while on the stand during you know, using his hands and arms, gesticulating to imitate the motions of firing a rifle. Chai's lawyer stated that some of his abnormal remarks while on the stand were due to the possibility of a language barrier. On September 16th, 2005... Chai Su Vang was found guilty of all six charges of first degree murder and two charges of attempted murder by a jury of eight women and four men. On November 8, 2005, he was sentenced to six consecutive life terms plus 70 years. 40 for two counts of attempted murder plus 5 additional years for each count of murder in the first degree. Wisconsin is one of the handful of states in the US that does not have the death penalty. Judge Norman Yackel ordered that Chai served six life prison terms, one for each or one after the other, guaranteeing he would never be freed from prison as Wisconsin does not have a death penalty. Judge Yackle described Chai as being, quote, a time bomb ready to go off at the slightest provocation. Quote, these crimes are not isolated acts, but a pattern of antisocial conduct, the judge said. Attorney General Peg Lautenschlager sought the maximum sentence for Chai. She argued he would kill a gun unless he was locked up for the rest of his life. Given his, quote, explosive temperament and lack of true remorse or regret. When Chai addressed the victims, families, in court, he did not apologize. All he said was, I understand your anger, your frustration, and your grief. Well, well, well. What had happened with Chai Vang is... he said, he said, I can see both sides of this coin, but I also watched his testimony on YouTube. The video will be in the description box, and I'll leave it to you to decide whether it was a lost in translation language barrier, or if he actually really was just lacking in remorse. Um, but first of all, the, my major crux in this situation was that and i'm not blaming victims but the property lines for it to be 400 acres of land they should be properly marked i mean you were setting yourself up for confrontation and it might seem as though you might actually like to become confrontational with people who wander on your property when your property isn't marked and they have no idea it's an ambush number two I going off of the past history you know of his wildlife and fisheries issues understand that he was a conditioned cultural hunter who hunted in the manner of the mong and He really gave, like, zero fucks, you know, um, when he knew the rules, but in this instance, I feel that when he was in that tree stand, yeah, 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 it's a tree stand, and they don't just spring up on trees, so yes, that is an indicator that you are on private property, but who's to say that those tree stands weren't put up there, and then the property was then sold to the public who knows again when he said that he would like to get directions off of the property and he was given the directions off of the property there was a moment in time when the group of eight people the victims had a decision to make they could either stay in the you know seven of those people i believe it was seven people could have stayed in that cabin and minded their fucking business. And gone on about their day. While Terry Willers, you know, shooed, chided down the path and got him off of the property. I also understand that you don't ever leave a hunter by himself. You know, you have the buddy system. So you don't want the possibility of this trespasser, you know, hurting you. Like, this actually fucking happened. But, to have a group of seven people essentially ambush you circle around you and then prevent you from doing the thing that they want you to do which is get off of the property you feel trapped so what are you going to do well instinctually and you know for for me personally I would probably engage in military thinking and training and try to fight my way out of this ambush if it's me against 8 at the same time again there they there's dispute as to who shot first so there's that and then when you fire as many rounds as you do into people and you say that they deserved to die because they disrespected you then I can't really say that you're defending yourself at this point. At this point, you're just pissed. You know, at the whole situation. And you have a weapon. And that's fucking dangerous. Um, you know, you're not supposed to shoot... Sh- you're never supposed to point your weapon at anything you do not intend to shoot. That is one of the many rules that you learn immediately when you become a weapons owner, weapons user, and a hunter or a person in the military. Treat each weapon as if it were loaded. So I will allow you guys to decide what you think happened here. I feel that it was excessive but I also understand that he was outnumbered one to eight. I find that it was a tragic situation it was a senseless killing everything could have been avoided chai suvang lost all of his freedom over a stupid mistake on his part and on the part of the victims (sighs) cooler heads need to prevail well guys i hope you enjoyed this episode it's mad shorter than any of the other ones i've put out there in the stratosphere again don't forget to join the what had happened a true crime podcast facebook group you can follow on twitter and on instagram and you know what as a group if we once we start getting more members we'll start doing activities on the facebook group and stuff and i am all for all of your input on what you want to see the group develop into i hope you guys have a great weekend let's say adios bichachos to february and hello march Mm, my favorite month of the year here's your outro music have a great weekend